We know that somewhere in the world, someone downloaded this podcast, but we don't know anything about you. The folks who support this show would love to know just a little bit about who is listening. If you have two minutes, it really does only take two minutes. Help us make this show an even better experience for you by telling us more about yourself. Just go to ListenerQ, L-I-S-T-E-N-E-R-Q.com forward slash pull up and take the short survey. You can also give us direct feedback on the show, which we would love to hear. And as a thank you, you'll be entered in a drawing for a $100 Amazon gift certificate. Two minutes. ListenerQ.com slash pull up. That's ListenerQ.com slash pull up. For Al Horford to only take four shots, I don't blame the coach. I blame him. You're the highest paid player on the team. You know the team needs you. And you're in a position where the ball's in your hands. So shoot 10 shots, 12 shots, 15 shots, whatever the case may be. Assert yourself in the game and don't leave with any bullets left in the chamber. KD's ability to also play the five makes them extremely difficult to compete against because of his length. He causes so many mismatches on both sides of the ball, but he's able to guard James, he's able to guard CP, and he's also able to guard Capella, which is rare. A lot of fours and fives aren't able to play that well defensively while maintaining one of the most polished offensive games in the world. You don't know what you're going to get out of Aiden. You really don't know what you're going to get out of Luka either because you're not sure how it translates. But you think they're both going to be very, very good players. But if you know one guy is capable of averaging 15 and 10 and he's 20 years old and your only concern is, is he too much of a traditional big man? I think that's a good that's a good knock to have. There's not a lot of weaknesses when they're saying, well, we don't know if he'll be able to shoot, but he's 7 foot, 260 pounds with a 40-inch vertical. I'll take it, and we can figure out the jump shot later. <laughs> we can figure out the jump shot later. Just go dunk and rebound. Welcome back to the eighth episode of Pull Up. CJ McCollum here, as always. Jordan Schultz will be joining us shortly, but first, a quick update on what's going on in my life. I'm currently in uh, Portland, Oregon, actually in Westland right now, sitting at the desk, looking outside, and it's beautiful. Uh, flowers are blooming. My waterfall is flowing very nicely. Chef's going to prepare a nice meal tonight so I can enjoy this Cavs-Boston game. But first, a quick update on what's going on in my life. Um, still doing core work. I uh, got some hot yoga in while I was in Oregon. Uh, nice sweat, working on everything uh, from a non-heavy impact standpoint, just trying to do soft soft work on the knees, making sure that everything is in place before I uh, start the grind back up, actually visiting uh, with our strength and performance staff and, and head of strength and performance, uh, Jess, later today to kind of get an overall body evaluation based on where I'm at, you know, five weeks postseason uh, since the season ended and looking forward to getting the uh, the new strength and conditioning program in place for this quick vacation I'm taking to Turkey. Well, not quick, but Rather long to go see Big Bro in Europe. Looking forward to that. Always get to check him out uh, at the end of my season, in the postseason, to see him and uh, spend some time with him and be able to watch him in that crazy environment out there. Uh, fans are amazing. They're really, really engaged and have a lot of love for my brother. I take a lot of pictures of him with fans uh, during the trip. So I'm really looking forward to that. And I'll be starting to improve and intensify the workouts here shortly in terms of lifting weights. Um, jump rope and, and doing more impact stuff uh, as well as shooting in the gym before I begin my serious work and two a days in Miami in June. I'm really, really looking forward to that and uh, looking forward to getting back to the to playing. It's really hard to watch these playoff games. And uh, speaking of playoff games, we have one tonight, Jordan. What are your thoughts? Who do you think is going to win this game and who do you think is going to win this series? Cleveland wins this game and the series. And for me, CJ, it comes down to 
really simple. LeBron James, best player in the world. <laughs> you saw what he was able to do in Game 3. Now, I thought going into Game 3, Cleveland would absolutely take care of business. But the way they did it was unbelievable. What I mean by that is not only did they blow out Boston by 41 points, but they completely vaporized Al Horford. He took four shots. The guy's been unbelievable in the playoffs. They com- they just said, you know what, we're going to make everybody else beat us. And we know that Horford's the impetus to what Boston wants to do on both sides of the ball. So I was really impressed with, with what the game plan was. I thought Ty Lue ran some really good uh, action off the ball so that LeBron didn't have to do everything on the ball, that he could relax a little bit. Other guys were moving. And obviously when you have all five starters in double digits, even though none of them went for 20, it helped LeBron's. And it helped him on the defensive side of the ball as well. So I'd expect more of the same in game four. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think going into this series, I had the Cavs win in six. And I think people kind of overreacted to the success Boston had playing in Boston. A lot of young talent, a lot of guys rose to the occasion. You mentioned Horford you know, being effective not only in this series but throughout the, the playoff entirety, just continue to dominate on, on all on all facets of the game, whether that be scoring off the dribble, posting up, making clutch shots, or potentially, you know, playing stellar defense on love as well as other players. But I think, as you said before, one of the differences is playing at home. The Cavs are a very, very good team at home. They shoot a lot better. The role players are more comfortable. And a lot of those guys have family, so being able to be around your family a lot more. you got kids sleeping in your own bed. I think all those things play a factor. But one of the most underrated aspects of this series and the series uh, in past games has been the Boston Celtics' inability to win on the road. They've struggled. They've struggled against every team in the playoffs uh, on the road, haven't, haven't been able to kind of you know, win those tough, crucial games. And I think that game is going to do a lot of damage to the psyche, uh, similar to that, that Rockets and uh, Warriors series to where you get blown out in a pivotal game against arguably one of the best players to ever play the game in LeBron James. You see the excitement he has. You see how comfortable he is at home playing peekaboo uh, with his daughter, which is one of, the, one of the better viral clips we've seen. Uh, alongside Drew Holiday, you know, being able to play peekaboo with his daughter as well. I think it's Cavs in six. I think they could potentially run off uh, three straight, which would be four, and uh, close the series out in a hurry. Here's what I'll say about about Boston, to your point, CJ, about them not translating on the road. I, I don't understand it. And can you just speak to where your where your thought is on why they can't win on the road because if you're going to be the number 1 defensive efficiency team in the league as the Celtics were this year defense usually travels that's why Utah was good this year and one of the reasons why cuz they they guard people even on the road Boston is 1 in 6 on the road in the playoffs they have not lost a home game in the playoffs i I, I just can you explain to me why they're struggling like this first of all that's od i didn't know they hadn't lost a home game in the playoff. That's crazy. I think a lot of things factor in the, the lack of defensive execution. I think the effort is there. They play hard. They're well coached. Uh, Marcus Smart's out there. Al Horford's out there. A lot of guys who are able to guard multiple positions and switch. I think the communication changes. Al Horford talked about it. You know, not having those defensive breakdowns to where J.R. Smith's able to. You overhelping. Know, catch, they overhelped yeah. in game three. Right. Overhelp. Uh, JR and, and Kyle Corr being able to seam the ball on three pointers. You should have to shoot. They should have to shoot so fast they're not able to seam the ball. They're walking into three pointers and LeBron's going back door with no help on the weak side. You know, bad share. I think there was a possession to where uh, LeBron drove uh, baseline. Help came. Terry Rozier's on the backside. He didn't crack down. So just the little things that they do extremely well at home, they didn't do in that game. Uh, 
the previous night and they haven't done throughout the entire playoffs. So I think communication will be a huge factor going forward and shot making ability. You know, the Cavs had open shots yeah. on the road. They missed them. I think they made 50 percent, 51 percent of open shots um, in games one and two. In game three, they had the same looks. They made 61 or 62 percent of those open shots or wide open shots. I think that's the difference. Cavs made open shots at a higher rate. Boston not only missed open shots but they didn't execute the defensive end and you can't do those two things against arguably the best player in the game so I think that's you know been the biggest factor for them and they're a young team you know it's hard to play on the road when you're young when you're younger you have you lack the experience that you know other guys have haven't played in those big moments that's what I was gonna ask you about the experience because Smart and Rozier are both 24 Brown's 21 Tatum 20 really the only experienced guy that gets that they really lean on is Horford and I just wonder in game four if Brad Stevens will be able to make adjustments as he's done throughout the playoffs to get him more looks because for Horford to take four shots just doesn't make any sense. He's just too good of a player. So I, I would imagine that. But I, the whole thing with youth too, like haven't we said on this show that sometimes inexperience can help because you're gaining these valuable reps throughout the playoffs and you, you don't really understand the magnitude of it. So how does it flip the other way? Is that, is that like, on the road, then you're saying like for that's why maybe Boston struggles on the road because these guys haven't been able to experience these this type of adversity away from home and things just are, are just harder travel, etc. I think it's just a combination of everything. You're less comfortable on the road. You're sleeping in a hotel. You're eating different foods. You're probably ordering room service. You're on more of a strict schedule because usually teams are trying to keep you. Right. You know, in rhythm, trying to keep you in line. So you got film scheduled times, you got team meetings, you have all this stuff. You got to get on the bus instead of driving your car. So it's just a completely different setting. For one, you're not at home, you're not around your families as much, you're not doing certain things. And uh, whether people want to admit it or not, there's nothing like sleeping in your own bed. It's a great feeling. It's a great feeling being a, if you got a couch, if you're in a house versus a condo. It just feels different. Maybe you have dogs. You, like I said before, you might have kids, a wife, whatever the case may be. It's just a different vibe, different setting. And when you shoot, it's like three. The, the, the crowd is yelling and encouraging you. Whereas on the road, you shoot and you miss and it's cheers. <laughs> so it's just like a different psychological feeling. But I don't necessarily think age is the factor. I think these guys are just out there hooping. And some games they play extremely well and then other games they don't. But for Al Horford to only take four, four shots, I don't blame. I don't blame the coach. I blame him. You, you're the highest paid player on the team. And you know the team needs you, and you're in a position where the ball's in your hands. So shoot 10 shots, 12 shots, 15 shots, whatever the case may be. Assert yourself in the game and don't leave with any bullets left in the chamber. And lineup flexibility is interesting because Cleveland is clearly going more with with a bigger lineup with, with Thompson and, and, to a degree, uh, Larry Nance. And then Boston has struggled with their big lineup. If you go back to game three, I rewatched the second half this morning. They did not have the same momentum or, or flow or any anything on either side of the ball, especially offense, when Baines and Monroe were playing together. And so if I'm a Boston fan, I'm concerned that we can't match the Cavs' big lineup. It's kind of the same type of deal with Houston not being able to match the Warriors' small lineup in their game three. Yeah, I think Stevens is going to make some, some crucial adjustments in this series. I think he's going to limit Greg Monroe's minutes because of the fact that he's not as yeah, I agree. switch-friendly as the rest of the guys on the court, and the Cavs seem to try to exploit certain matchups, as all playoff teams do, and find the, the biggest advantage in pick-and-roll opportunities by, by putting him in pick-and-roll. And I think Baines, Baines has been a good contributor. He's rebounded. He's, he shot the three probably as well as anybody on the Boston Celtics team has, which is you know unexpected from him. But I think... 
picking, picking one of those guys. You can't play both of them at the same time. I think you're going to pick one because you have to be able to match Trishan Thompson's intensity and ability to impact the game at the rebounding at, at, the, at both ends, whether that be rebounding on offense, rebounding on defense, setting screens, getting loose balls. He's infectious and brings energy and has been a, a deciding factor in the Cavs' success this postseason. Who's harder to play against for you as a, as a guard? Who, who makes you work more? Is, is it just Boston because they're such a good defensive team? Or is it Cleveland because you have to pay attention so much to LeBron and what they're doing on the other side of the ball? Uh, Cleveland is one of the worst defensive teams I've ever I've ever played against, honestly. But I think it's yeah. just the spacing. Yeah. They have a lot of different players on the, on the roster throughout the season, so terminologies not the same. The the continuity isn't always there. Think about how many players they've had on their roster the last three or four years. They they're literally in and out new guys every year. So it's hard to be on a string and be united as one when you have all that uncertainty on hey, if things don't go well, I might get shipped out. So I think that's one of the reasons why. Their defense has been up and down, but then when it's time to lock in and focus on one team, they're a lot better. But Boston's defense has been great in this season, years but, past. Yeah, always, always has been that, a really good defense. That's why team. I just, that's why it surprises me with with the way they just can't guard people on the road. I, I just, it's crazy. Like I understand not being able to make shots on the road. That's why I go back to Boston. Should that should translate whether you're big or small or whatever it is. You should be able to guard Cleveland. Cleveland has been really good when they go pick and roll with with either Love or LeBron or or Love or Hill. And I just wonder how much they'll continue exposing that because, um, especially at home, Boston's clearly not defending um, at the same clip in the playoffs on the road. Okay, I, I'm wondering: Can we switch series to Houston Golden State? What's been the biggest surprise for you? in this series was it Steph struggling and then coming back to earth or coming back to life uh was it Draymond's fantastic defensive performance in game three is it Harden struggling or the ancillary parts for Houston what what has really stood out to you yeah I mean first of all I'm not surprised at all because I said that the Rockets didn't have a chance I said they had a chance but it's very very unlikely they'll win win in this series so I'm not surprised I've seen how good the Warriors are with with Steph I've seen how good they are without Steph and People have argued whether or not he's fully healthy. I'm not sure. There's, there seems to be a lot of people, you know, making excuses for his play. But I think overall, he says he's healthy. His his trainer outside of the team says he's healthy. His staff says he's healthy. Whether or not he's in rhythm is, is completely different. Whether or not he's in physical game shape is a completely different story. But I think he just missed shots in those first two games. And the Warriors are such a good team. He doesn't need to play well for them to win. But when he does play well... They're extremely hard to beat. You can't turn the ball over. You can't have wasted possessions. You can't not get back in transition. You can't give open corner threes to some of the best shooters in the NBA. And Houston Rockets did all those things in the in the previous game, and that allowed the Warriors to kind of run away with it. And then they allowed Steph to finish around the basket. You know, him making contested three pointers is one thing. You know, up up until he you know, got yeah. some easy layups in the second half. He was struggling. He was struggling from three. He missed open threes. His handle wasn't the same. It, he wasn't bouncing with that pep in his step. Then they allowed him to walk down the lane to start the, to start the third quarter, get a left hand and one. He flexed, got a free throw, drove, drove the lane again, got the underhand scoop. He got to see the ball go in twice from within three feet. So then when he shoots that 30-footer, he's confident because he just built – he just seen the ball go in. He just shot free throws and – I think the pressure, as Mike D'Antoni said, when you're up 20, it's easy to shoot. There's no pressure, especially when you're at the crib. Dude, it's so funny you said that because at any level, as a shooter, 
when you get free looks to put the ball in the hoop, whether it's free throws or layup, just something to see it, it makes a big difference. And when you're that good of a player, you can see how the basket got bigger and bigger. And he and that's why he said afterward he had amnesia on that 30-footer over, uh, I think it was over Harden. But also with Golden State, again, CJ, we, just, we, we have to go back to the defense. What they've done to an awesome offensive team in Houston. Just to give you an, a context, Houston on catch-and-shoot threes this year in the regular season shot 61%. Against Golden State, they're shooting under 42%. So the Warriors are making everything for Houston hard. And obviously the Rockets are only down 2-1, but again, it, I just think it feels like this thing is over. We, we both said five, I think, going into the series. Golden State's defensive flexibility with Draymond at the five or Durant at the five and everything else around those guys is really special. Yeah, the series is completely different than others because of Draymond. His ability to play the five or KD's ability to also play the five makes them extremely difficult to compete against because of his length. He causes so many mismatches on both sides of the ball, but he's able to guard James. He's able to guard CP, and he's also able to guard Capella, which is rare. A lot of, a lot of fours and fives aren't able to play that well defensively while maintaining one of the most polished offensive games in the world. And I think with his ability to do those things, he can play ISO, he can play pinch post, he can pass off the ISO, he can do so many different things. It makes their team extremely hard to beat. And then you add Clay in there, his defensive versatility, and then they start Iggy as well. He can guard one through five. So you have all these players who can guard one through five. So then now it just turns into the Rockets trying to exploit mismatches because there's only one guy out there offensively that Harden has a true advantage over. And that's Steph, when Steph Curry's checking him. So they try to get him in pick and rolls over and over again. And at some point, he wears out, whether that be fatigue, whether that be the team just helping and causing other guys to shoot. You talked about the catch and shoot percentage and how, you know, in the, in the regular season, the Rockets shot 61%, and now they're shooting extremely worse. It's two things. The Warriors defense is great. They switch a lot. They, they, they're causing, you know, havoc. They're making people they want to shoot, shoot. The Trevor Reasons of the world, some of those guys who are very good players in their own right, but they're not James Harden and Chris Paul. And the other factor is that it is the playoffs. There's, there's pressure now. The stakes have risen. Uh, you, you won 65 games. You're, you're in position to potentially, you know, play for a championship. So those shots are a little bit different. And um, I think we're starting to see that throughout this series and to see why a lot of people pick the Warriors to win in five or six. Just quoting Steve Kerr briefly after game three, he says, oh my gosh, Draymond, there's nobody like him, honestly. He is the impetus, as is Durant, to Golden State being able to switch everything they want defensively, every ball screen, every stagger screen, whatever they want. Houston can't do it. And if you want to oversimplify things, that is a big difference in this series. And you mentioned Curry's defense. I'm glad you did. He, he's actually done a, a fairly decent job uh, in this series defensively. Just to give you an idea, he's been targeted 43 times, 43 shots on him, and allowed 44%, 23 from three. Harden has been targeted 51 times and is allowing 55% and 50 from three. So Curry has been uh, pretty good. Harden, especially in game three, was just atrocious. I don't know if it was effort. I, I mean, it had to be effort, right? Because the way he got exposed and his lackadaisical performance on that side of the ball, forget offensively, was, I, I thought, really disappointing. I think it's funny people were talking about his effort. And remember you talked about how you thought he was, you know, really out there trying and has improved as a defender. Remember when you said that? I did, yeah. What did I say? 
You said no. You said no. I said no. I said it's people get lost in how good he is on the offensive end. He's one of the best offensive players I've ever seen. His ability to manipulate pick and rolls, play an ISO, finish around the basket, shoot threes, get to the free throw line. He has the complete game on offense. They also play a lot of one-on-one. It's a lot of energy. He didn't rest down the stretch of the regular season. So the fatigue toll, it takes a factor at some point, which I'll give him that. But the other other thing is he is the, I'd say, the worst defender in the starting five on their team. Capella can defend. CP is a pit bull. Trevor Reza. You have all those players out there that can defend. And he's the one who, you know, whether that be fatigue, whether that be effort, whether that be just not being a good defender, you know, kind of falls asleep at times. I think... People are starting to see it now because the stage is is the highest point ever. I think this is the the most the Eastern Conference semifinal or championship game was the second most viewed in the history of conference finals in general. So people are watching the social media world where they're able to clip plays and I think the icing on the cake was when Sean Livingston came down the court and went in and out behind his back and dunked it and James just kind of reached and played the oh. as they as they like to call it the old Olay <laughs> defense. I think when you see plays like that, yeah, that was that was the Matador. Matador right, that defense. was the Matador. You see a play like that, and it really, it really puts a point of emphasis on him yeah. and his defense alone. Because yeah. Shia Livingston is a guy who's had two knee surgeries and is older and isn't able to move his feet quite as well as he used to back in the day. So for him to blow by you and get a two-hand dunk on national television in the Western Conference Finals, and your MVP candidate, you come like that. The MVP word it comes with a lot of pressure. It comes with a lot of people watching you, people picking apart your game, people hating on you. So that's what you have to look for. And he's a very good player, uh, a Hall of Famer right now. I'd say if he retired today, he'd be a Hall of Famer. He's very, very good, rare. But it's hard to be good at everything, and I think we're starting to see that with him. Well, and that's why when you watch LeBron, it's just it's so cool. <laughs> the, guy, the guy does everything. It's just crazy. I mean, he, I, I know we're, there's nothing new to say about it, but I just you, you can't. You just can't put it into words how good That's he is. true. But he doesn't defend the way he did back in the day. LeBron defense no. in Miami no, he in doesn't. the beginning right. of his career, unbelievable. Now it's good. It's still good, but now it's um it's really when they when they need it. Right. Right. It's when they need it. Like game three, I thought he was great. Yeah, when it's money time, oh, he's lock he's locking down and he chased block he chased down blocking and all that. We've got more pull up in a second, but first I want to talk to you about travel Portland. I'm lucky enough to spend the majority of the year in Portland. And even though I'm a little biased, I think it's one of the best places in the country for people to visit. To start with, if you like wine the way I do, Willamette Valley boasts some of the most delicious Pinot Noirs around. And it's only 45 minutes outside the city. Also, summer in Portland is amazing. You can hit Portland's Forest Park for a hike, bike ride, or run. It's one of the largest urban forests in the United States. And if you're looking for even more of an adventure, windsurfing, kayaking, and more wine. Mount Hood, the Columbia River Gorge, and the coast are all reachable within a couple of hours. Jordan, what do you like to do in Portland? You know I'm a Mount Bachelor guy. It's about 20 miles from Bend, which is incredible fly fishing joint. But uh, Mount Bachelor is a really, really cool mountain, so that would be my number one. Okay, I'm going to add that to the list. That's good stuff. And for the foodies out there, Portland has great farm-to-table eateries and food carts. I like Nong's, Portland City Grill, El Gaucho. I have a list for you guys if you really want to know more. So if you want to get away and check out spots I love, visit TravelPortland.com to start planning your trip. You can in Portland. Now, back to the show. 
Okay, here, here's one for you. At their peak, when guys are totally dialed in, who is the best defender you've gone up against? And you can put LeBron in that conversation. I'm saying when when somebody's completely locked in, when you really need a bucket, who's the toughest? Tony Allen. Wow, Tony Allen, sure. Because he's strong, not overly tall. Overly tall guys have trouble guarding shorter guys. You know what I mean? Six 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 seven. When you get to six nine, six eight, it's harder for them to guard six two, six three, six four guys because of the quickness and size advantage. When you've got a guy who's like size, six four, six five, but strong, able to manipulate screens and still can get good good contests, and has a history of being a great defender. That means they're allowed to get away with a little bit more than the rest of the NBA with the holding, the pinching, the, the fouls, the, hit, the slap on the hands when you follow through. Tony Allen's a guy who's able to get away with a lot of stuff right. and is already a great defender. So that's hard to combat. Very, very hard to combat. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's funny you say that because when you, when you develop a reputation as a great defender, for example, referees know that too. And now they just assume that you're making a really good play. Right. Uh, even if it's a foul. And I was talking to a, a Big 12 coach this year about Javon Carter, the point guard at West Virginia, and he said as great of a defender as he is, especially uh, at their place, he's going to get the benefit of every single whistle. He's allowed to hand check a little more, you know, basically just do a little bit more than the average defender because he's developed and earned the reputation. And, and Tony Allen was definitely one of them. I mean, he at his peak when he was an All-NBA defender – uh, and not really able to shoot threes, he was still a very valuable player, uh, whether it was with Memphis or Boston. Exactly. I think you hit it right on the head. It, there was a play in the game last night where Jordan Bell got switched on to James Harden, played great defense, got a contest at the end, kind of touched his hand a little bit yeah. of the wrist. They called a foul. The announcer said, if that's Kevin Durant checking him, they don't call that foul. But see, that shouldn't make a difference. Like it's, it, A rule is a rule, but he's a rookie going up against the MVP, and also, no. like, and it goes the other way, too, right? Like, a great shooter, I mean, you're considered, and you are, one of the truly great shooters in the league today. If you airball a shot, or you shoot something really badly, and you don't get a whistle, aren't you going to tell the ref, I'm not going to miss that badly, if you thought you were fouled? Like, and they know that. Yeah, I would say that I'm not going to just shoot an airball open, or late contest. Like, it's either going to hit the rim, or it's going in. Right. And so you might get that call. Maybe, maybe, because it's, un- it's uncharacteristic for a guy to just shoot an air ball, especially like an elite shooter. Yeah, exactly. Okay, can we talk a little combine, and specifically Phoenix Suns at the first pick? They can go a lot of different directions. The two guys I think they really need to look at, or three guys, would be Bagley, Aiden, and Donkic, who just became the youngest ever to win EuroLeague MVP at 19. So if you're the Suns, who do you like? And give me a sense of your combine experience coming out of Lehigh. Yeah, so I'll start with the Suns. Um, They got a lot to choose from. They got a lot of different options. And I think one of the things someone proposed today was the potentially trading the first overall pick for Carl Anthony Towns because of the the lack of, uh, I don't know, camaraderie that's going on in Minnesota right now. They got a lot of tension, I guess, between – the big fella management, the big fella coaching staff. There's a lot going on there. So that was one of the things they proposed. And for a lack of better terms, I think Devin Booker would probably like to see Carl Anthony Towns there, being a a Kentucky guy who he's friends with and gets along with. So don't be surprised if a move is made to appease Devin Booker, for starters, because that's going to be their franchise player who's getting a max 
any as soon as he's available to get a max extension is coming. So that's the first thing. The second thing is you, you break down team needs. You have a very, very good guard in Devin Booker, franchise-changing guard who can do a lot of different things with the ball. In the prime or getting close to the prime of his career, being so young, he's got about 10 years of very good basketball if he stays healthy, probably more. You want to pair him with another guard in Luka Doncic who's able to play some one, but you know, based on some of the film I've seen, he's been better as a combo playing one and two and you know, being able to play on the ball in pick-and-roll situations, play off the ball, can shoot. You've seen some of that when he played with Goran Dragic uh, in the uh, Eurobasket games. Or do you pair him with a generational talent big man who's been compared to you know, a lot of the greats with his ability to rebound. He has great strength and size. Quickness can guard pick and rolls. Has that ability to switch and be a transcendent big man who's very, very young and the big fella from, from Arizona. So you have, a, you have a lot of options there. So I think if it's a big man you want to go with, you either trade for Carl Anthony Towns because that's, that's a big man who's proven. You know what he's capable of. He's 20 and 10 right now. He doesn't have the same defensive intensity as DeAndre Ayton does in Arizona. I don't think he's going to block shots and protect the basket as, as well as he potentially could, you know, if he pans out to be what they think he is. But offensively, Cat is light years ahead of Ayton. So you get somebody who's ready to get 20 and 10 right now, or you take a chance on a guy who should be pretty good and probably will produce, I don't know, 15 and 10 as a rookie. I think you go with the big man because you already have a very, very good guard. And I think that's one of the positions of need. They need another guard. They could potentially use a forward, depending on T.J. Warren's health, depending on how Josh Jackson pans out. So you go with either center or combo point guard. So I think they ended up going with Towns or Aiton. If I were them, I'd probably draft DeAndre Aiton uh, because of the – the fact that he reminds me of like a Saquon Barkley of football, a generational talent. He's transcended. He's muscular. He has skills and can change that franchise. So that's probably what I would do. I'd probably take Aiton. Or if you have a lot of interest in the pick, you trade down. You trade down a little bit and let somebody else come up and get whoever they want, as long as it's not the player you want. Great stuff. First of all, let me just – I agree with a lot of what you're saying. But what about the thought process – I'm just throwing it out there – that you go out and get Marvin Bagley from Duke, who I've been told from executives is a very similar type of guy to Chris Bosh, who is not going to block shots, but is in, immediately going to be able to score. Do you think his there is some too much duplicity there, you're saying, with, with what they already have with, with from forwards and that they really need a true center? Is that why you, you, you kind of say Aiden? Yeah, I say you take center or guard because you've taken forwards in the last couple drafts. You've taken the kid from Washington. You've taken the kid from Europe. Marquise Chris. You've taken Josh Jackson. You have Bender. Bender. You have all these. I don't know. Six six to six ten projects. F- wing forwards who could pan out, could be very good players, may not, but you can't go down that route again and fail. That, that means you're admitting that you struck out on those guys and you're trying to go get another one who's like those guys. So I think you go center. You go center or guard because you've already done the others. You've already experimented with it. It may work out in the future. Uh, obviously, based on their record and performance, it hasn't been the way they've wanted so far. But injuries and a lot of things have factored into that. So, I mean, I like the, I like the kid from Duke. He, he's with my agency. I think he's going to be a very, very good player. But I think from a situation standpoint, I don't know if that's ideal for him. I don't know if that's ideal for him or the organization, you know, with new management in place and new people in place. I don't see them I don't see them making that move, but I think anything is possible. My Browns drafted Baker Mayfield number one. 
Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, Sarver's their owner, Robert Sarver, who uh, I'm not a fan of to say the least, but <laughs> let's just call it like it is. He he went to Arizona. Aiden is right there in their backyard, and he's a very very special player. I've scouted him a lot. I think he's going to be a great NBA player. My only concern with him is. Is he more of a 90s-style center? Is he going to be able to adapt and extend his range and become a legitimate guy that can extend the floor like a Carl Anthony Towns, who's only 22? And that's why you consider trading the pick. If you don't really believe that any of these guys are transformational players, then you would want to trade it. And then you can go down and maybe get a point guard, which is a huge position in need, like a Trey Young or a Colin Sexton. But – for Phoenix, they have a lot of holes, CJ. And for me, it's best available. And so B- Bender is a disaster. I mean, he, he just has not developed anywhere near what they thought. So Aiton would be the replacement there. I love Donkic. We haven't talked about him a lot. I think he's really special. But you, you're saying you, you see him more as like a, a facilitating guard, even though he's kind of like a point forward. So you're basically saying that he would interfere with Booker and Jackson. No, I think he can play with him. I think he can coincide with him. Uh, his ability to pass and shoot is something that translates right now. He can play in pick and roll, so he could be a primary ball handler, and he can also play off ball when Booker's handling the ball. So I think they can play together. I just don't know if that's what they want to do. You have to think about you have to think about team needs, as you said before. I don't think Bender's failed or but I don't like to use those terms because people called me a bus after two years, and a lot of factors played into me not performing well. One was situation, the other was injury, the other was just poor performance. So there's a lot of things that went into why I struggled early on. So I don't like to write players off or put them in a box, but I think Booker can play with anybody because he's gifted and he can shoot, and he can play on the ball and off the ball. So you could pair Luka with him. I think Luka is the type of player, my brother said before, he thinks he'll average about 14, 5, and 5, depending on the situation. He can do a little bit of everything. He can shoot. He's 6'7", six, 6'8", six, and I like him. But I think that when you have, like you said before, you don't know what you're going to get out of Aiden. You really don't know what you're going to get out of Luka either because you're not sure how it translates. But you think they're both going to be very, very good players. But if you know one guy is capable of averaging 15 and 10 and he's 20 years old and your only concern is, is he too much of a traditional big man? I think that's a good that's a good knock to have. There's not a lot of weaknesses when they're saying, well, we don't know if he'll be able to shoot, but he's seven foot, 260 pounds with a 40-inch vertical. I'll take it, and we can figure out the jump shot later. <laughs> we can figure out the jump shot later. Just go dunk and rebound. CJ, I love that. You're, so you're saying best available, and, and it also fills a need. Yeah. So Aiton's your guy, and I, and I think Aiton's a fantastic player. Ironically or uh, interestingly enough, Aiton and Donkic are both represented – by Bill Duffy, so he could have one and two, and um, you know Sacramento obviously there, and then you you have other guys like Mo Bamba who had a really nice combine, and Jaron Jackson who people really like. So um, you know Michael Porter. There are I think this is a really good draft. I think it's an undervalued draft. I also I also believe it's one that has really good depth, and you could get a a nice player in the forties, which is uncommon. Um, in the forties, that is. That's an aggressive statement. A nice player in the in the forties. Yeah, no, I mean we're talking about guys like I'm. I'm not saying they're gonna fall this far, but guys like Devontae Graham, you know, Raleigh Alkins, Kata Bates, Jop, who's probably not gonna go that late. Mo Wagner. I mean, these are good players that could potentially go 
in the 40s. I'm going to take your word for it because I don't really watch college basketball like that. I only watch the top the top guys. If somebody is getting a lot of hype or they're on Sports Center, then I watch them to see if I really believe it or not. So some of those guys I haven't seen, but I have seen the Graham kid from Kansas. I think he's nice. I think he's the real deal. He reminds me of another other guard out of Kansas that plays in Sacramento now. So we've got more pull up for you, but let me talk about SeatGeek for a second. Buying tickets can be complicated and confusing, but there's a better way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. Whether you're searching for a last minute deal, playing a night out with friends, or need to find the perfect gift, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I'm looking to go to a J. Cole concert this summer, as well as Childish Gambino. I'm going to use SeatGeek because I'm a fan of those entrepreneurs, and they're going to give me the best prices. I've got the SeatGeek app on my phone and have found it very easy to use. Just a few taps. It's very easy to get seats to anything you want. If there's a major sporting event in your city, like, say, the NBA playoffs, and you want to go to a Cavs game or potentially a Warriors finals game, I recommend you to check it out. I might use it to get tickets to a Browns game a concert, a comedy show, and much more. Jordan, what's the last live event you bought tickets to? I'm about to buy Kendrick Lamar tickets May 29th at the Garden. Ooh. So I'm pretty fired up about that. That's going to be dope, man. I hope you enjoy it. Let me know how that goes. SeatGeek saves you time and money by showing you not only the cheapest tickets, but also the best values. With their very handy seat map feature, you can get the best seat for whatever your budget is. Just give it a try. And best of all, my listeners are going to get 20% off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code PULLUP, all one word, today. That's promo code PULLUP, all one word, for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Now, back to the show. All right, so quickly, give me your, uh, your like, one combine story. What do you remember from it? One of the things I remember about the combine is that a lot of weird questions were asked. Uh, I think I talked about it in previous years, where you go in a room... And I met with, I think, the Cavs and a few other teams. And some of the teams, I walk in, they have a deck of cards out. So you walk in, they tell you, pick a card. You pick the card, you look at it, and then they ask for the card back. And then you go through your entire, you know, combine interview, which is like an hour or whatever the slot of time is. And then at the end of the, the, end of the uh, interview, they ask you uh, what, if you remember the card. I think I had like a, a red seven... Uh, I read Seven of Diamonds or something like that. But I remembered it, but I thought it was just ironic that they were able to see if you could multitask and, you know, understand a conversation, go through an entire conversation while remembering something that happened an hour, hour and a half ago. So it was just interesting how they kind of broke stuff down. Another another team asked me, um, why are potholes round? See, that's just crap. What what the hell? That's crazy. Yeah, so that, there's a lot of interesting mind games being played to where they they'll ask you who's the who should be number one or what player do you think we should draft or um, what makes you different than other other teams. I think one team asked me. I was meeting with teams and I won't I won't say the name. One team asked me if they thought that I could fit in with their team. And I, I remember telling them, I said, I think I can fit in with any team because I have ability to shoot, pass, and dribble. And I think that translates anywhere. I can play on the ball. I can play off the ball. So I can play with anybody. But I told them, honestly, I don't think I'm going to be playing for your team, at least at least right away, because I don't, I don't think I'm going to be there where you pick at. 
I'm going to be gone before I get to you. And they kind of looked at me and I thought it was funny. <laughs> I mean, it was probably a little arrogant of me, but I think you have to have confidence in yourself. And I think that showed them that, hey, look, if you want, if you want me, you're going to have to come up and get me because I'm not going to be available uh, where you're slotted to pick. But I've heard a lot of interesting stories. You're sounding a lot like your boy Baker. Baker was a unheralded three-star player out of Texas. A walk-on. 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 Twice. Heisman winner. Won, what, three, four Big 12 championships. You have to believe in yourself because I, you know how many times people probably told him, you should quit. You're not going to make it. You're too small. You can only play out a shotgun. You can't play a pro-style offense or you, you have anger problems or you, you're off the court. You're off the field. Stuff is going to affect you. You're never going to make it. Think about how many people doubted him and probably told him, no, you can't do this. You can't do this. And if he would have listened to them and fed into you know, what's, what's perceived as you know, possible versus impossible versus uh, that this isn't your, this isn't your, your calling, we would never have the story of the walk-on who you know, wins, wins the Heisman, could potentially change the Browns franchise. We'd never have that story. So I think it's great to see people you know, go against all odds, prove people wrong, and succeed. And it's kind of how I've carried myself as going to a school no one was ever drafted from. People told me, why are you going there? No one's ever been drafted from there. You can't go to the NBA from there. You know, stuff like that. And I told him, like, yes, I can. There's a, a guy like me has never gone to a school like this. That's why it's never happened. So you have to have that undeniable confidence and belief in yourself that even when things aren't possible, you think they are possible. Shout out to my, my Lee Ning fam. Anything is possible. Lee Ning! Love it. I need some Lee Ning gear. <laughs> I really need it. I got you, man. I got you. We didn't talk about the poll question, and we also didn't discuss a question that was asked on Twitter. So what do you want to do first, poll question or Twitter? Let's go poll. Yeah, let's go poll. And then I want to – I love your, your, your Twitter questions. So, But, yeah, go poll first because um, this was a pretty interesting one. Okay, so the poll we asked was discussed and has been discussed, you know, in basketball group chats, barbershops, everywhere across the country. If you could only keep one and build around one player on the Warriors, who would it be? We put Steph, Clay, Katie, Draymond. As of five minutes ago, 2,600 votes in. 37% say Steph, 4% Clay, 56% KD, 3% Draymond. And I always like to get into the banner of what people were discussing with it. So a lot of people say KD had his chance as a number one in the OKC and he blew it and he came and joined Steph, therefore Steph should be one. I agree to disagree with that because I think although KD is capable of winning a championship on his own, should have won a championship that year. Uh, with OKC up 3-1 and, and didn't. I think with his size and versatility, if you could build around one of the two, you'd probably pick him because he's a seven-foot player with, with all the same skills as Steph, but a better defender. Although Steph is transcendent and he's able to do a lot of things, I think it's it's definitely one of those two. Clay's very good in his own right. Draymond's very good in his own right. But this is, a, this is basically an argument between Steph and KD. Yeah, I voted for KD for what it's worth, given the age, the skill set, and the fact that you know, Steph's had significant issues with his ankles, um, and I love Steph Curry. He's a fantastic generational player, but um, I think Durant. I uh, Did you get a chance to look at the Charles Barkley interview when when she said, is Draymond as annoying all day long as he is on TV? And Durant says, he's just downstairs. You can go ask him. Did you see that? Yeah, that was very KD of him, and I'm glad he did that because— Wasn't it? Yeah, because I think Kenny talked about it. Charles, Charles isn't, this isn't the 80s anymore. You're older, you're slower. 
Kenny hit it right on the head. People aren't afraid of him. Draymond is in the prime of his life and would beat the brakes off Charles Barkley. I hate to say it, but it's, it's the fact of the matter. So he's got to be careful what he's saying because these are grown men out here, man. These are grown men with kids, with families. And you speak down on somebody's name, you better be prepared to, to, to really show that you believe that you believe you could really whoop on them because, as I said before, this is this is a man's game and this is how people provide for their families. But uh, I think it's it's a very very interesting world we live in. I'll say that. And then I will also read this quick question before we go. Yeah, what do you got? I was asked by a fan. I like this question. I was asked by a fan. Uh, Talk about the differences in intensity of game day and practice days. For me, obviously not an athlete, it is hard to understand the difference and why playing three to four games in a week is a grind compared to training. So, Anthony Clark, this is a great question. I think it's all a grind. Training in the summer is a grind. It's a lot of work. Although you're not playing games, you're just working out, lifting, trying to figure out ways to improve your game while implementing a lot of shooting. When you're playing in season, there's nothing like you know having to guard Steph, having to guard Clay, KD, flying all across the country, getting hit by screens, carrying the load offensively, and then having to go do it again on another night. And then having to play a back-to-back to where you guard Russell Westbrook, and then the next night you're guarding CP and James Harden. So it's a different type of grind because of the travel, the food habits, the eating, the stress on your body, the importance of each game. That's why when LeBron had three or four days rest between games two and three, I knew this was essentially a guaranteed victory for him because this is game, I don't know, upper 90s game, upper 90s for him since he played all 82. And he was going to have three full days of rest in film before he was playing them. So I think those are some of the differences in why grinding in the summer is hard. But the fact that you're not playing games allows you to kind of be at ease and recover because it's solely about focusing on training in ways you can't improve. But without further ado, I want to let all our listeners out there know that I will be on the Woj podcast. We're taping on the 22nd. Location, I'm not sure, but it'll be a live taping. So if you're interested in hearing me and Woj talk, sports talk, whatever whatever else we want to talk about, don't be afraid to tune in. Also, I have a new wine alert. New wine alert. Uh, Wifey and I went to a restaurant in New York. I'm going to send you the name of the restaurant because obviously I can't remember. But it was an Italian restaurant and we had a new wine called, let me make sure I say this right, Ignaz, Ignaz Niedrist. Sounds French. Cute music now, please. It is actually Italian. It was an Italian restaurant. It's a red wine Italian. And the glass presented ruby red translucent color. (laughs) The nose was fantastic. There was a scent of red fruits, very fresh, and some herbs. And once it entered the mouth, remind you, I'm reading this off of Vivino. I'm, these aren't my words. In the mouth, it was sour cherries and raspberries gripping lively. <laughs> All right, I'm going to just stop there. It was very, very good wine. Well, what's cool to me about this, the part of this show, is that we're now getting people hitting us up on social media saying, let me send you this wine or that wine. Right, and it's great. we're gonna try things that we never would have tried before. And you know, like I love Pinots, but it's great to try other wine. And I mean, do you even know if this was a Barolo or a Nebbiolo? I mean, come on, what what was it? Do you even know the type of wine? It was a Pinot Noir. 
from Italy. I was just telling you the actual okay. name of it. You can find it on Zillow. On, on Zillow. Uh, shopping for houses. You can find it on Vivino. It, it's priced It's priced at $40, $45. So it's not like over Wow, very over reasonable. Top. Very, very reasonable wine. People want me to recommend reasonable wines and think that I'm just out here splurging like right. crazy. No. I'm out here drinking just like the rest of America, you know, within certain price ranges. At times, I splurge, but other times, I just prefer a good taste of wine. So, that's one for you guys. Also, can I get mine? Can I get mine? Go ahead. I'm going to give some love to Frog's Leap. It's a cab out of California. Very, very good. Again, well-priced for what it is and uh, something different. And it's a big cab, not overwhelming. And those are my words, CJ. Big cab, not overwhelming. Adding it to the list... Text it to me so I can remember it because you can never have too much wine, as we like to say. If you watch Billions the way I do, you're going to be excited about this. We're going to have Brian Copeland on the show. He's the creator of Billions sometime soon, probably next week, maybe the week after that because I'll be in Turkey and I'll probably have my brother on. So, Billions fans, we're having the creator of Billions on the show. So, tweet me questions that we could potentially ask him. And without further ado, a J. Cole quote. Of the week. Believe in God like the sun up in the sky. See, science can tell us how, but it can't tell us why. I seen a baby cry, then seconds later she laughed. The beauty of life, the pain never lasts. Remember that, ladies and gentlemen. The pain never lasts. You can follow us at Pull Up Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Follow me at CJ McCullum on Twitter, at 3J McCullum on Instagram, at CJM313 on snap and you can follow jordan at schultz underscore report instagram and twitter and just jordan schultz on facebook i don't have all those snapchat followers like you do yeah you probably shouldn't have those things (laughs) (laughs) and ladies and gentlemen don't forget to pull up